Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So if you only listen to one DeWindy City podcast in its entirety or for more than five seconds, let this be the one. Mallory Wegeman coming up here, and if you don't know who Mallory is, you would be like me about two weeks ago. Mallory was born March 26, 1989. She lived a fairly normal life until she was 18, and then... She went in for a routine procedure because she was having some serious nerve pain and she walked out or did not walk out and has a disability which turned her into a Paralympic swimmer. We'll let her tell the story coming up here, but multiple gold medals and just an incredible journey from becoming paralyzed at 18 to winning gold to getting married, to planning on having a kid, to trying to pull off a gold coming up here in the Tokyo 2020 Olympics that are actually in 2021. If you want to be inspired, if you want to learn a lot, too, about diversity and inclusion in ways that we haven't thought about, that that's been a huge topic the last however long now as we try to move society, if you will, forward. But a lot of times we think about that as gender, right, or race. This is a whole nother learning platform, if you will, of what it's like to be in a wheelchair and not be seen as a person, but actually as an object. She tells some extremely vulnerable stories coming up here. And the positive attitude, it's just so inspiring. It's really... uh, worth your time. I think I loved talking to her and trying to take that fighting for every inch into my life as much as possible. So Mallory coming on up here, but first, as always, we want to remind you that DeWindy city podcast is brought to you and supported by our friends at manscaped the best in men's below the waist grooming manscaped has hooked me up with a bunch of tools from their Perfect Package 3.0 kit. I highly recommend you get one for yourself. 
Uh, it's got the greatest ball hair trimmer ever, the Lawnmower 3.0. It's a third generation trimmer. It's got the cutting edge ceramic blade. Uh, we need these things in life. It's uh, it's a beautiful thing. They got the LED lights. You can actually see what's going on. Little per- precise shave, waterproof, so you can do it in the shower, which of course is uh, much more easy on the cleanup. And again, twenty percent off, free shipping. Put in the code FANSIDED20, FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. Comes to you, and then all of a sudden you're unlocking your confidence by using those right tools for the job with Manscaped. Once again, FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. All right, let us get to Mallory Wegeman right now on the Windy City Podcast. Showtime. Marie Wigerman goes in lane two for the USA, 32-0-1 to qualify. Elliot Fonholm up the speed of Young. Young in three. Danny Kanar in six. Danny Kanar is in the lead, but only just. Here comes Elliot. Elliot's been leading too late. Young's challenging, but in lane two, lane two. Wigerman. Marie Wigerman coming through, 31-1-3. Oh, she left it late. She can't believe it herself. Mallory Wegerman. Elliot left it too late. She came good in the last 15. Vladi Kanar leading all the way. Jiang was looking so good. A Paralympic record for Wegerman, of course. 31-1-3, well inside 31-5-1. Did you have any physical ailments as a, as a child growing up? Anything that would lead you to believe that your life was going to change in 2008? No, you know, I didn't. I, I joke that I lived kind of the pretty average, uh, average life as a kid in the suburbs in the Twin Cities in Minnesota and baby of three girls. I was a swimmer and, you know, loved just the water for all it was. And so... I had no idea that what 2008 brought was going to come. And, you know, I think that's true for most of us, though, when we have those sudden moments of impact that kind of change our lives. Um, they they kind of come out of left field, if you will. And, and we're kind of left to pick up the pieces and figure out what's next. You basically, at the time, thought, you, I have a routine case of the shingles and I'm going to get better and this is not going to be anything that I'll even think about a couple months from now, basically. Yeah. You know, I got shingles senior year of high school and then I did have some residual issues with it um, called post-traumatic neuralgia, which just caused really bad nerve pain at the end of the day. Um, It wasn't anything too debilitating, but enough that we were doing treatments for it. And so I, I was getting epidural injections to help treat that pain Um, that was kind of left over from the shingles infection. And Ultimately, on January 21st, 2008, I went in for what was to be my third and final injection. And I walked in and I, um, I never walked out that day. I was admitted to the hospital for six weeks and became paralyzed as a result of that procedure and have now lived the past 13 years as an individual with a spinal cord injury. And you were 18 years old. Two years later, you've got eight world records. And four months later, you're getting back in the pool, which to me, talking to you today, that feels like the next day. Like, how do you 
move forward that fast. I mean, I'd be sitting there like, why didn't I, why did I go and get the last injection? Dad who brought me here, right? Why, I, if you hadn't done this hospital, you know, how, do, how did you get yourself to move forward? Yeah, you know, I think in all honesty, it was kind of a simultaneous journey that I was facing, right? I was asking a lot of the why me's, what ifs, what if I didn't go in that day? Um, but at the same time, I was trying to find a way to grieve and put my life back together as best as I knew how. And I was really, really, really fortunate to have two incredibly supportive parents. And, you know, in all honesty, I was so fortunate that my dad was with me when my injury happened because it gave me somebody to talk to who knew what I was going through because he was in the room with me that day. And, you know, at the end of the day, getting in the water for me, I, I was, I was still grieving. I mean, it was, gosh, April 8th, 2008. So what, two and a half months after I was injured that I got back in. But it was also my way to look to the black line and start to piece my life back together and have control. And ultimately the black line is where I grieved. It's where I asked those very questions you just talked about. And that was the power of swimming for me. It was something to move me forward while meet me where I was at and also bridge me to my past because swimming was such a big part of my life before my injury. And I still wanted to be connected to that life because it was still a part of who I was. This is one of the ways, by the way, Mallory, that we're extremely different. I uh, was called a land lover as a kid. I, the, the, the concept of the black line and getting peace from that is so foreign to me. It's unbelievable. Were you an elite swimmer? I know you were the captain in high school, you know, to be a gold medalist. I mean, were you on anywhere close to that path? No. I mean, <laughs> to put in perspective, I didn't even make high school state when I was a high school swimmer. So I wasn't on like the D1 route. I wasn't on the D1 scholarship route. I honestly thought I was going to swim through high school and I wanted to go away out of state to a kind of larger university to focus on journalism. I really wanted to go to, I was looking at KU and Mizzou and their school, their J schools. And so I did a gap year at home at a community college, um, just get some generals under my belt while I was just getting the, that final injection and doing some things. Um, and so with that, since I wasn't a D1 track swimmer and those were the schools I was interested in academically, I just kind of thought, you know, swimming's ran its course. It was a huge part of my life as a kid, but after high school, it would be done. And my coach and I still laugh about that because my coach who's coaching me now going into Tokyo and who coached me going into Rio was my high school swim coach. Okay. Um, he was one of my first club coaches when I was seven. So he knew me my whole um, able body, quote unquote, swimming career, if you will. And we joke all the time. We're like, man, I was just as average as they came as a swimmer. And now here we are all these years later. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you went to a meet with your sister's shortly after the incident and you so imagine if that would be me where's that thought process coming from that you just believed you were capable of doing it yeah so i went to the 2008 paralympic trials for beijing for swimming they're being held at the university of minnesota the first weekend in april of 2008 i had just gotten out of the hospital about five weeks prior and we knew nothing about the Paralympic movement. And so we saw a newspaper article and we ended up going that night. And when my sister and I went to the pool, I, I was sitting next to her and we were kind of at the railing up in the stands looking over the pool deck. And for me, it was really the first time that I saw 
other people that I felt like I could see myself in. And when I saw that and I saw what they were doing in the pool, I was like, that's incredible. I mean, what if I could do that? And I, I don't know that I actually, I think it was just a knee jerk comment that then my sisters kind of like held on to and reminded me of all these years of like, look how far you've come. Um, because, you know, I think for me, it was just that moment of feeling some sort of hope for the first time. And that's so true for all of us when we go through trauma or adversity of like, we kind of have that glimmer that kicks in at some point along the way. And if you can hold on to that glimmer and do something with it, that's when, that's when all the pieces start to come together. So did you call up your swim coach then and, and from high school and say, Hey, this sounds maybe a little bit crazy, but this is a goal that I want to set for myself. No, I actually didn't. I met a coach that day at the university of Minnesota who coached the club team there and started chatting with him. And he said he was familiar with the Paralympic movement. He'd coached a few athletes in the Paralympic movement. He'd love to help me get in the water if I wanted to. And so I went to the pool 48 hours later with my dad and got in the water for the first time. And I didn't get in thinking like, oh, I'm going to go to a Paralympic games. I just got in thinking like, wow, maybe I can swim. And that would be a cool way to figure this all out. Right. And so we got in the water and Jim, who I call the Jimbo, was my coach from that day all the way through the London 2012 games. He's the one who brought me to the, the 2012 Paralympics where I ultimately ended up winning gold. And then in 2014, before Rio, I had a um, permanent nerve. I have permanent nerve damage as a result of an injury to my left arm that I sustained in 2014. And Jim had moved and I was coachless. I was kind of trying to figure out like, what am I doing? And I had this new injury. And so I thought I was going to retire. I didn't know if there was a way out of it. And my now husband, but boyfriend at the time was like, absolutely not. And I'd stayed in contact with Steve over the years. He coached my two older sisters too. So my whole family has known him almost our whole lives. And he was a teacher at the time and had the summer off from classes and said, you know, sure, I'll help Mal get back in. And next thing you know, here we are. That was summer of 2014, six and a half years later, still doing it. We've gone to Rio together and now we're training for Tokyo. Mallory, I prep interviews a lot and it's rare that I, actually, I don't think I've ever said this before that I would like thank someone for the opportunity to talk to them. Cause I, you know, I watched your wedding video of you walking down the aisle and I watched, it was so beautiful. And I, and I watched the, 2012 gold medal race and what stuck out is like i'm watching i'm like she's not winning like that this can't be right like i have to be watching the wrong video you talked about in there that you hit you took one breath and you're seeing the feet of lane three it was so inspirational because like i think for a lot of people like you are behind in life or, you, or at least i feel that way a lot and you just Hey man, every last bit, I'm going to go for it. So I don't know who gets credit for that. Or I just love to hear you talk about it. No, that London race for me and your spot on with that is I've held on to that, that 50 meter freestyle as kind of a symbol for so many things, because, you know, at the end of the day, I was, I was in about fifth or sixth place. When you watch the video at the 25 meter mark in a 50 meter race, I didn't pull into metal contention until maybe the last three meters and I didn't win the race until my last arm stroke. And so for me, I've always held on to that as that kind of reminder, if you will, of first of all, you have to know what it is you're fighting for. 
you've got to know what it is you're fighting for. You've got to have kind of that North star, that, that true North on your compass of what are you getting up for and fighting for each day? And second of all, you got to understand, like, it's going to be hard and not all days are going to be a, a qualified success. Right. And you got to still choose to keep getting up and fighting. And so for me, that race is always kind of my go back to, and my kind of mental catalog of moments in my life of, Remember that one time I became a Paralympic champion and the final arm stroke of a race as in never stop fighting for what you believe in until that race is over because anything can happen. And that day I fought for every inch of that, of that pool. And, you know, it's, it's, it was such a powerful moment for me to see my journey come full circle after being paralyzed four and a half years prior, but it was also such a powerful reminder for me and such a strong kind of anchor point as I've moved forward in my life beyond the 2012 games. Um, and even now as I'm training for Tokyo, just that reminder that, you know, not all wins are easy and graceful. Sometimes you're literally clawing your way the entire way. And usually those are the most gratifying because you know what it took to get there. How would you define quote unquote, like what you're fighting for? Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, it's, it's changed a little bit over the years, but it's kind of all stems from the same place. At that point in time, I was, I was fighting to create a path forward for myself. I felt like after my paralysis, everywhere I looked, I didn't see myself represented. And I wanted to know what it was that I would be capable of doing in my life. And I couldn't look to, you know, I couldn't look to the TV screen and see representation of disability around me. I couldn't look to displays in stores. I couldn't look to ads. I couldn't look anywhere in my community and see that outside of sport at the Paralympic Games. And as time has passed since 2012, we're seeing more of that in our communities. And so for me now, at that time, it was me fighting to kind of start creating my path forward so I could get up kind of on my own two feet per se, I guess on my own four wheels. Um, but now I would say that's transitioned and now I'm fighting to pave the path for others. I, I really do think that we all have the power to make a difference and change the world in our corners. And I want to use my voice, my platform, my craft as an athlete and as a storyteller with our production studio to do what we can to make sure that our next generation doesn't have to ask those questions of what about me and really pave the way. See, and this was opening to me because I'm thinking, well, we're not just talking about ramps and being able to get into a ballpark or a stadium or a airport. We're talking about, like, as you just underlined, movies, TV ads. Like if you go back in time, you only saw white people in the movies, or if you was a person of color, they were the servant or whatever in, in most, in, in many films. And this is like, so this is just a, opening up a whole nother thing here. Hey, and one of the things I read here about your book, Limitless, The Power of Hope and Resilience to Overcome Circumstance. 20% people in the USA have disabilities. And, and yet, you know, we're seeing 2% on TV. When you're talking, and I'm on, you know, for at, at Fansite and Minute Media, I'm on the diversity and inclusion team. And it's like, this is just a whole opening that I think people are missing. It, it seems super important to have this conversation. So it's got to, it's got to be frustrating for you and gratifying at the same time, I'm guessing. It is, you know, and it, it's interesting because my story isn't obviously just about my journey as an individual with a disability. It's about me as a person. But at the same time, me as a person also includes being a woman with a disability. 
And you know, it is, it's, it's not just about infrastructural access. It's about access to that kind of metaphorical table, if you will. And how do we create equality there and not just equality, but true, like deep rooted inclusion. And I, I do think that's such a big part of this. And, and there's so many unconscious bias that are at play and I have my own. I mean, I had plenty of them when I was first injured that I had to like rework how I thought about disability because I was ultimately now living with one. And I think the power of it is that I've found, especially in the writing process of Limitless and what I'm most excited about for March 2nd and release day is every single bookshelf that Limitless sits on, there's a picture of a woman in a wheelchair on the cover. And yes, that person happens to be me, but at the end of the day, Target, Barnes and Noble, you name it, wherever this baby is sitting, you never know what young girl, boy, adult could wheel, walk, crutch, however they get about this world by and see representation. That's beautiful. And I think even just for everyone, as I'm, I'm reading about you, it's like, look, yes, okay, I have a visual disability. You can see that I'm in this wheelchair, but we all have them. And literally, I think anyone watching this, like, well, this is the X thing that I'm afraid of that I'm not moving forward from. And there's some quote unquote disability, whether it's, you know, whatever anxiety, depression, loss, whatever is something that you've been holding forever that you haven't quite processed that we're all dealing with. So there's no difference. I mean, there's a difference, but there's really, it's the same battle, right? I mean, I, I think that's a beautiful thing to open up. It is. And it's so true. I mean, I, I look at disability, obviously, yes, there is part of my identity is an individual with a disability, but we all have those struggles to your point. And it can be familial struggles. It could be a loved one that you're, you're helping care for. It can be financial struggles. It can be emotional, mental, physical struggles. I mean, it, the list goes on and on, but the reality is, is the, like you said, the, the fundamental things that you kind of have to process and move through as a person, kind of in your heart of hearts, it's still all the same. I mean, grief is grief, no matter which way you slice it. And that's something we all intimately know. And ultimately, adversity, I mean, just look at this past year, everything our world has faced. We all know what it's like to have our lives uprooted and changed in the blink of an eye. I mean, it, it, for many of us, it felt like that in March in the US in 2020. And we're almost a year out from that. And, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate that we have not lost a loved one to COVID-19, but that being able to say that statement, you're, you're now becoming the anomaly because it's happened so far and wide. And I think that at the end of the day, what we've faced as a society, we all understand loss in a very different way now and adversity. And we're all in the depths of like trying to figure out how do we move forward? It's not moving on, it's moving forward because what happened this year will always be a part of who we are. My paralysis will always be a part of who I am. And so I think there is some universality to that conversation. 
Yeah. And we can like, you can get in the weeds too of like, well, my disability is greater than your disability. Then you get into a whole victim thing. But, and, and I also want to say like what you have to deal with every day from a physical standpoint is way more challenging than, than myself. Um, let me ask you about fear and, and, and your, your relationship to it. Cause I always like fear, go, you know, get away. It's actually a great guide. Or if you're afraid of something like that's probably exactly where you should be going making that phone call, getting in that pool, whatever it is. Like, you know, how did you like the terror of, of going forward for yourself? Like, how would you describe that journey? Yeah. Um, goodness. Fear's a monster, isn't it? It is. We all, and we all have it. I mean, goodness gracious. Like we may not want to admit it to other people, but we all have it. And I think that for me, where I like really had to come at this crossroad with fear was pretty quickly after my injury, actually, when I did get back in the water and I was terrified of the pool. I mean, I went in the pool for pool therapy in the hospital a handful of times and I hated it. I cried through my sessions. Like it was miserable because I couldn't feel over half my body. It didn't move the same way. And I finally said, I'll never go back to the water because I didn't want to replace those years of memories that I had as a child and adolescent with this fear. And so when I got back in the water, it was against everything I said I would do. And ultimately, I mean, I was terrified that day when we went to the pool, but I realized in it that I had to find a way to lean into my fears, whether it was swimming, whether it was what my future would look like, whether it was my questions around relationships, all of these things, I had to find a way to lean in. Otherwise, those fears were literally going to become my paralyzing factor. Not the fact that I was paralyzed, but the fear I had around all the things that were associated with it and the what ifs for life moving forward. And so you're right. Like when you, when you're afraid of something, that's generally exactly where you should be going. And it's hard, but at the same time, when we, when we kind of allow ourselves to find comfort in the things that make us uncomfortable, which is usually what fear is, that's when we typically find the freedom that lies on the other side of it. And for me that day, getting in the pool quite literally probably saved my life. And that day getting in the pool allowed me to not only exist, but also learn how to actually live. And there's a big difference between being alive and living. And ultimately I was, I was 18. I just turned 19 years old after my injury. Like I have so much life ahead of me and I'm still scared of things. It's been 13 years. There's still days I'm afraid. My husband and I talk about having a family and that's the next step after Tokyo. And it's like, what am I going to do once the baby learns how to crawl and I'm on four wheels and they keep getting away from me? Like, do I need to put the kid on a leash? I'm kidding. I won't put our kid on a leash. I probably shouldn't say that publicly. (laughs) That is a joke. Um, It's like, what do you do? And so there's a lot of things that you, you learn as you go, like any other parent. And that's what I keep telling myself. And you know, it's just those moments of like, whether they're small or big, goodness, we all have them. We got to be a little bit more gentle on ourselves. Um, it's not possible to live a life without fear. Otherwise we wouldn't be being honest with ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's, it's, it's never going away and that's cool. I mean, or at least I'm trying to get to the point where I think it's cool. So I'm, I'm, I'll say it here. Yeah. Uh, before we get to Tokyo, how, how'd you meet your husband? Can you give us a little ro- a love story today? Yes. Okay. So my husband and I, 
I love our love story. I'm biased. I think don't, doesn't everybody love their love story with their spouse? Um, so we met through work. Um, but I, I call it straight up serendipity because our worlds kind of collided a few times without either one of us knowing it. Um, he was actually sitting behind my mom and dad when I won my SB. They were up the SBs kind of like up in the balcony area and he was sitting up behind them. And so he met my parents that night. We hadn't met, we didn't meet till months later. Um, we never put two and two together until like we actually kind of met in person. And we worked together for a year and a half and just became super close friends through that process. And then ultimately fell in love and we got engaged in, in 2015 and married in 2016. And now we own the business together. And so what started out as, um, us working together turned into us falling in love, getting married and going into owning the company together, which is, um, I love it because it's just, it's, it's so much of who we are, but it's also really funny because when you look back, we knew each other for so long before we dated and there was like no thought in our mind of romance there. I mean, like we were friends, but that wasn't. And I think our, our worlds, I always say, kept thrust, like throwing us together. I mean, our, they literally kept colliding. And I feel like there was a little bit of serendipity and a, a little bit of fate of maybe the bigger being knowing that we were meant to be. And uh, here we are. I, I love it. Thanks for sharing. And uh, those are my favorites. Like you get, you know, each other in a non-dating way. I think that's the perfect way to go about it. I, I want to hit just belonging uh, before we get to Tokyo. Yeah. So this is another area where no matter your circumstance, when you walk into a room, like, you know, for, for someone in my circumstance, I, if I'm going out to cover athletes and okay, now I'm in this NBA locker room and there's LeBron James and I'm, I'm going to go ask him a question. Do I belong in this place? You know, there's Stephen A. Smith and he's the biggest media guy. Can, can I ask the same question that this guy's going to ask and the heart's pounding and you're talking about, I'm hearing you saying like, I'm, I'm in a mall and I'm looking around and I don't see me. But yet you have to feel like, even if I don't see me on some level, you got to be like, hey, I am, I belong here just like anybody else. But you also want, can I have some level of conversation or just feel some comfort there? Like, what, what, what has that been for you? Yeah, you know, belonging, goodness. It's a, uh, that was a tough battle for me after my injury. And I think it's, I learned early on and I, and I talk about this in Limitless of just that my first time out of the walls of the hospital and when I went to the mall and it was weird because I felt, I felt overexposed, but at the same time, I felt like no one actually saw me. It's like they, they recognized that I was there, but they didn't actually see me. And I, I think that's the hardest part, especially with my wheelchair at times is it, it's as if when you move about the world in a wheelchair, you aren't a person anymore, you're an object. And that becomes really challenging at times. And I, I struggled with that early on. And, you know, I think as time has gone, it's, it's confidence. It's learning that, you know what, like, sure, my path is different than anyone, you know, 
to the left or right of me, but at the same time, on a very fundamental human level, we all belong. Like no one is better than anyone. Yes. Some people may have done some really cool things and have some accolades and kind of some, you know, LeBron James, like it's LeBron James. Right. But at the end of the day, he goes home and I can promise you, he still has the same conversations with his family that you have with yours. And I have with mine and people are just people. Like we are all just fundamentally equal in the fact that we're, we're human and, and we all have struggles and we all have diversity and we all have heartbreak and we all have joy and we all have success. It's just in perspective to what that looks like in our lives. And so I started trying to like remind myself of that. And ultimately I think that sense of belonging starts with the work inside. And it wasn't something I could do to make it make society make me feel like I belonged. I had to make myself feel like I belonged. And that comes in, I really do believe in just honoring your journey for what it is and not getting lost in this game of comparison or this game of being what you think you're supposed to be and how society thinks you should be. And, and I talk a lot about it throughout the book, but one of the biggest things that I learned in the first few years of my injury is other people's perceptions of who you are and what you're capable of are not a reflection of who you are and what you are capable of. They are purely a reflection of their own insecurities. And that realization was like the spark that went off for me of, wow, because I mean, the thing, I still get comments like in the grocery store. I've had people like come up to me and tell me how miserable it must be to live life like that and hand motion to my body in my wheelchair, just as I'm like in the produce section grabbing limes and it's like, what? I mean, have a nice day. Like, what do you say? And so I think there's, there's an element of you need to be really sure of who you are. And when you're sure of who you are, there's a difference between confidence and ego. When you have confidence that stems from honoring your truth, your journey, what you're capable of, who you are as a person, that's when those moments become a little less intimidating. And you know, no matter where you go, you belong. Every one of those moments, though, I would imagine if you're going to have feelings. I'm you, there. Here's some anger. I will throw this freaking lime at you. And and then there's underneath that you're going to have some hurt. Like, hey, man, uh, I am no freaking different than you. And that's I get I think you're a thousand percent on that. It's an inside job. But there's a lot that you've got. To, that's I think you're probably constantly processing all the time. Yeah, no. And, and it's the realization, too, that I found in this. Words matter. How we say things and the words we use, those minor tweaks, they not only matter to the people we're saying them to, but they matter to how we hear ourselves and then how we perceive ourselves. Like I'm very adamant. I live life with a disability or I live with a spinal cord injury. I'm not suffering from a spinal cord injury. I didn't suffer a paralysis. I'm living with it. And like, those are little things that honestly, it wasn't till recent years that I realized how much weight that carried and how much it allowed me to find a way to respectfully kind of have my voice. And like I said, honor my journey for what it is. And the other day I had a gentleman who just very, you know, kindly said, what happened? And, you know, early on, like that kind of startled me, but now it's at the point where it's like, I mean, I'm soon literally an open book with limitless. So I just need to be okay with it. And he said, sorry. And he was like, like his face just dropped. He was like, I'm so sorry. I said, no, it's okay. I said, I'm not. 
I'm living an incredible life. I've done so much more on four wheels than I ever did on two feet. It's okay. You didn't know what to say, but I think it's, it's finding the way to also, you know, and I wasn't saying it in a way, like, how dare you say you're sorry, but just in a reminder, like, you don't need to look at me or others that maybe look a little different with, with pity. Like most of us are doing pretty darn good and, and we're, we're happy. And sometimes we're maybe even more kind of as an entirety whole and healed than others. Like just cause we got four wheels doesn't mean our life is a sh- in shambles. Right. I've been given not by choice, but a, a, an opportunity. There's a word to process things that I never thought that I would. And, and, and lo and behold, I've come out on the other side and I'm even stronger than I thought I was. So, yeah. you know, and I talked to people who, I mean, one person who I respect to the end of the earth and she's had cancer for five years. And I mean, she, she'll call cancer a gift, like in, in a, in one weird way, like of how she's, you know, changed how she's lived her life. All right, let, let's talk Tokyo. If you had to wait a year, I mean, you're striving for this for so long and like, okay. And you still, it's like, are we doing this? Are we not doing this? Like the, the huge challenges to keep yourself focused. I'm guessing. It is. And you know, it's interesting because like when I look at kind of my athletic journey as a whole, the first four years of it were marked by like, if I blinked, I broke a record. I mean, I I literally got to the point in my career going into London where I touched water, I broke a record and it was just like every time. And so it was just marked by success, success, success. And then in 2014, when my arm injury happened, I was out of the pool for a year. We didn't know if I'd make it to Rio. I was fighting back from an injury that we threw out it, found out it wasn't going to get better. It was permanent. And so there was no recovery. I just had to learn how to deal with it and make the best out of it and adapt again. We made it to Rio. I swam incredible. I still call it probably the most successful games of my career, yet I didn't even medal um, because of the fight that it took to get there and what I accomplished there. And then I came home from Rio ready to go for Tokyo, and I got pulled out of the sport for two years because I had to have two pretty major surgeries on my left arm to do some work as it was progressing. And so like the fight to get to Tokyo has probably been a fight I've been on since I left London. (laughs) So by the time we get there in 2021, this coming summer, it's going to be a nine year fight. And I joke, I'm like, that either means I'm persistent as all heck, or I'm just a little bit crazy. I'm not sure which one. I'm sure it's probably a little bit of a combo of both. Um, But Tokyo, I mean, what happened this year, first of all, was completely the right thing to do in postponing the games because of what our world was facing. I mean, it had to happen. And I'm so happy that the movement did the right thing. Um, in terms of the journey going in as an athlete, it's it's been challenging. I mean, I, I count myself as extremely fortunate, like I said earlier, of, you know, I, I have a roof over my head. My loved ones are still here and with us. We've all stayed safe and healthy during this time. Um, so I would say that is probably the most you could ask for in a time like this right now, but, um, from just like the pure athletic lens, it's, it's a little tough, but at the same time, I, I, my coach and I joke, like I'm really good at comebacks at this point. (laughs) I mean, it's like, I'm almost better as an athlete when there's a comeback to be had because I know how to do it so well. And so we're kind of using that as, you know, the, the perceived weakness as the strength right now and having fun with it. And, you know, it's not ideal, but 
it's not just happened to me. A, our entire world is going through it and the entire sports community is going through it. And so you can either sit and sulk about how it threw your training off or you haven't been able to compete or whatever, or you can just kind of kick into that athlete gear and pull out all the tools in your chest that you know of in terms of the mental performance side and how to adapt and pivot and all those things and, and show up. And so we're, we're kind of choosing the latter and we're having so much fun with it. I mean, yeah, there's been stress. I was training in my garage over a black line. I taped to my floor on like a on land swim bench for three months. And if anyone who knows swimming, you just can't replace water. And so that was tough, but we made the most out of it and we had fun doing it. We found other ways to get stronger so that when we got access to water, we could utilize that strength in the pool. And, you know, I think it's just that creativity. And at this point, honestly, the, the hardest part of that entire journey was I thought, you know, March, 2021, I, my husband, I would be trying to have a family not train for another six months for a games. So that was probably the hardest thing for me to swallow last March of just like, as an athlete, you plan your life in four year increments. We planned our wedding around it. We planned having a family around it. And especially as a female athlete, you really have to. And I think that was for me, the largest pill to swallow of just like, I know this is what's happening to everybody, but at the same time, it also sometimes feels like to what end are the sacrifices when you're an athlete, but we're now out of that emotional heartbreak of it. I've embraced it and I'm so excited for Tokyo. I mean, I just, I can't wait to have something that can symbolize our world coming together after everything we faced. Sounds like you're also excited to be a mom someday. I'm so excited. (laughs) We have, okay. So we have a yellow lab. And in this past year, he's 10, Sam has straight up become our child because I think we're just both, I'm, I turned 32 in March, my husband's 38, like we're so ready to have kids. Um, But I absolutely love what I do and I'm not ready for retirement. And, you know, when you're an athlete, you gotta, and I think for a lot of, that's a conversation a lot of women have and couples in general. Um, So my goal is to go on past Tokyo. So we now have a a three-year window after Tokyo versus a four-year window before Paris. So we'll, we'll see how things go, but yeah, I am. I'm very excited to be a mom someday. That that answered my question. I was like, are you going to keep going? And there it is. Cause hundred percent. Yeah. And you've got it. You've got your company. You're, you're doing all these speaking engagements. You were, you know, you've been a reporter, all this type of stuff, but this is a huge part of your identity. I'm sure it'll be an emotional day when you actually decide to hang up the suit. I mean, that's, I don't know how often you think about that, but it can't be a great, it can't be much fun when that, when that thought crosses in that I don't get to do this quote unquote forever. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I feel like what, what also is really cool though, is, you know, moving through the process of limitless with my speaking career and with what my husband and I are doing with the business it's really neat to see that like I get to swim because I choose to swim and I love to swim. My life outside of the pool is set up in a way that if I wanted to retire because I just don't love swimming anymore, I could. And not a lot of athletes are able to find a way to like make that transition seamless. Like I would be 
very happy. I, I love everything I do outside of the pool. I would be so fulfilled um, if it were because I no longer loved to swim. But the problem is, is I love to swim probably more than I've ever loved to swim. And so I don't see that happening anytime soon. So I joke with my husband, I'm like, we're probably going to be in this till 2028 because there's no way if I commit to Paris, you're going to, I'm going to retire right before the games finally come back to the U S like I will hold on for dear life for LA 2028. So we're going to be in this for a while, but at the same time, I mean, for me, it's really, it's kind of that simple as long as I still love to swim. And as long as my body's healthy and can do it, I'll, I'll be there. And, and I love swimming. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see how long this body can hold on. How many days a week are you in the pool? I'm in only, I'm in five days now. Okay. So when I was younger, I swam six. Um, I will go back to six days when we get closer to the games, but uh, I need two full days of recovery these days. What's that cheat day look like? Oh, or is there a cheat day? You're not allowed those. I don't even know. Not, I mean, I'm dry right now. I'm, I'm, I'm on the I'm on the green juice kick to get enough potassium in as, as I'm, you know, training. It's like, you need that. Like all of the little things that I'm doing now, I joke, they're all my 1%. So my goal is to get, if I can do something that helps me 1% each day, that will add up. And that will be the difference of a hundred or two one hundredths of the games. So my cheat days are also just relaxing, which is also kind of part of recovery. Um, and honestly, the nutrition side, I just need calories right now. I mean, during the week, I need to make sure I'm getting the right ones to fuel me for training. But I also am starting to, we're six months out and I'm already leaning up for the games. And it's like, okay, so now I actually keep weight on. Um, so I get to eat my pizzas and my burgers and all the delicious things. My husband jokes, he's like, I can't keep up with how much food you eat going into a game. It's like, I can't eat what you eat or we're going to have like problems. Oh, I did not know that. I knew you consumed a lot, but you can actually have the pizza. You can have the cheeseburger. Oh yeah, <laughs> of course. I, I, yes. Um, sometimes that's just kind of what you need because you need to get over You need a little bit more caloric intake and you can only eat so many calories and in, in the healthy stuff. Yeah. Mallory, awesome to talk to you. Thank you so much for sharing on the journey, inspiring. And again, the book is Limitless, uh, The Power of Hope and Resilience to Overcome Circumstance. You can pre-order it. It's coming out on March the 2nd. If you don't pre-order it, I'm going to find you if you watch this video and 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 get done. It'll it'll be worth your time. I, I promise you. I, um, I'm looking forward to reading it myself. I pre-ordered this morning. So thanks so much, Mallory. It was, it was great to talk to you. Thank you so much. to get to Tokyo has probably been a fight I've been on since I left London. <laughs> so by the time we get there in 2021, this coming summer, it's going to be a nine year fight. This program was recorded on tape for a live audience. It's really neat to see that like I get to swim because I choose to swim and I love to swim. We have, okay, so we have a yellow lab. And in this past year, he's 10, Sam has straight up become our child. I'm very adamant. I live 
life with a disability or I live with a spinal cord injury. I'm not suffering from a spinal cord injury. At the end of the day, I was. I was in about fifth or sixth place when you watch the video at the 25 meter mark in a 50 meter race. I didn't pull into metal contention until maybe the last three meters. And I didn't win the race until my last arm stroke. We made it to Rio. I swam incredible. I still call it a, probably the most successful games of my career, yet I didn't even medal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.